Turn in your Bibles again to James chapter 1. We'll see how far we get through this today, but we, uh, we sort of wound up last week about talking about the anger of man, how it doesn't produce the righteousness of God, and we talked a little bit about what the righteousness of God was and the righteousness of man, and the dictionary again said the righteousness was defined as this in the dictionary, behavior that is morally justifiable or right. So a lot of times that's by a worldly standard when we look at that. But we found out that God's definition or the Bible's definition is a little bit different. It, is, uh, it says the Bible's standard of human righteousness is God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, and every word. And so the challenge last week that James was giving us was, is the way that we are behaving and the attributes of God showing through in the things that we do. And we found out, really, as we stop and think about these things, we might find out that in our life, a lot of times, our anger or our wrath, as some versions would say it, might be uh, just something to defend or to promote uh, our agenda and our thoughts. And so that's why James was telling us, what, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And so, as we talked about, we have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. We should use those things proportionately. We probably stay uh, out of trouble a lot more than what we do. But as we start out in 19, it says, Then, my beloved Brennan, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So as we learn to stand firm in the faith, what James was telling us last week was this, standing firm against unrighteous anger. So again, when we get angry about things, sometimes we always want to justify it. We say, well, I have a right to be mad at this. But James has challenged us to look at it from God's point of view, from God's perspective. Are we doing that? Standing firm against the lust of the flesh is the next thing that he talks about in 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so James is going to talk to us today about being doers of the word and not hearers only. So a lot of times we may uh, come and hear things or read things about God in his word, but we don't really apply them to our life. And this has in mind really as he talks about this all filthiness and overflow of wickedness in our life. None of us likes to look at ourselves in those, those manners, but it has a mind of impure manner or living. In light of nature and the temptation and the goodness of God, he's calling us to live a life that is different. And so instead of blaming people for the way that we are, the way that things are, we are to be accountable to God in the, in the choices that we make and the way that we live. We're to lay aside all impurity putting them away far from us, away from us, far away. So do we do that in our life? When we have those sinful things in our life, do we lay those things aside and get rid of those? As we come to the Lord's table, I always give the challenge out of Corinthians that Paul had that we need to examine ourselves. And if we know that we have those things in our life that don't belong there, we purpose in our heart to turn from those things. We repent of those things. We ask forgiveness of those things from God and then purpose in our heart to go the other way. Trapp uh, said this about all filthiness, and I, I like this definition. It says, the stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excrement, 
the indulgence or garbage of wickedness. And I thought that is a good, um, really, picture of what sin is in our life and of what this filthiness and this impurity is in our life. When we look at those things, we see that they're just death, okay? They're death in our life. And he told us about uh, how that works in our life when he said that um, when each one is tempted, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so we think of this ulcer that's in us. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had an ulcer. I used to have ulcers when I was younger. I don't think I've had them uh, recently. But it's something that's inside of you. So a lot of times when we're looking at things, we might uh, try to blame an outside force. Well, they'll tell you that many times ulcers can be caused by stresses around you. They can be caused by the things sometimes that you eat. So outside forces may have an input on those ulcers, but those ulcers are something that are inside of you, and it's something that you need to deal with. And so the same is with all these things. We need to deal with these things in us that cause this sickness, that cause us to continue. Have you ever noticed when you're living in sin or walking in sin how... how, um, Sometimes you just don't feel good about yourself. You don't feel right. You know something's wrong. And and it's just something that affects your whole life. Maybe the way that you're thinking, the way that you're talking, might affect the, the way that you sleep at night. It can affect all these different things in your life. It's something that he says needs to be dealt with. And so it says, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, we need to remove from our lives. And it says, receive with meekness the implanted word. So, In contrast to this impure living, in contrast to to living in sin or in a way that doesn't bring glory to God, we should receive the implanted word of God. That means we receive the word of God, we read it, we um, understand it, we sort of, I want to say digest it as we're talking about maybe sin being like that also. This is something that uh, is part of our life that needs to penetrate into our life, doing it with humbleness and also a teachable heart. Because there are those that just think they got everything figured out. And, and they, they're not really teachable. They sort of have their opinions. They have their, their thoughts and their ways. And really sometimes I think even if the Holy Spirit talks with them, sometimes when we put those walls up and we think that we're right in these areas, we're not really listening to anything. But the word receive here is, a, is an important thing. Spurgeon says this, The first thing then is to receive. That word receive is a very instructive gospel word. It is the door which through God's grace enters into us. We are not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we give to God, but by what God gives to us. And we receive from him. So we need to be receiving the word of God, this implanted word of God. When we go into a study when we listen to a sermon, when we go into prayer, if we're doing a devotion, we need to really pray. A lot of times I pray, you know, Lord, as I'm, as I'm in your word today, show me. Show me the things that I need to learn. Show me the things that, that I need to grasp in my life. When I come to uh, preparing messages, I'm always asking God, God, what is it that you want me to say in these services and, and in these messages? What is it that not only I need to hear, but what is it that others need to hear? And we need to be open to receive what God says. Like I've told people, I've read through James 
probably, you know, hundreds of times, a couple hundred times probably. I love the book of James. I've preached through it many, many times. It'd be very easy for me just to go back to an old sermon and just do the same one over and over. But, you know, every time I read through the Bible, every time I read a chapter or verse, usually God is speaking something new to me. And so we receive that. Well, how do we receive the, the word of God? Verse 22 through 25 tells us, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So he told us earlier about deceiving ourselves. And now he's telling us again that if we are just a hearer of the word and not a doer, we're deceiving ourselves because we think because we've heard the word, because we know the word, because we maybe even have memorized the word, that we're good enough. But the Bible tells us, and James is emphasizing this again to these new churches, be doers of the word. We need to do what it is that God has called us to do. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and does not and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. To be a doer of the word. So we receive God's word. What is it that we do with it once we receive it? We, we receive it not as just hears, but as doers, and we take comfort in the fact that it is God's word. It's not man's word. It's not a church dictating something that we should do or a preacher dictating something that we should do. But when we preach the pure word of God, it's God's word for us to live the life that is best for us. He's doing these things for us, not to confine us, not to restrain us, but to bless us. He knows what we need in our life. See, it was common in the ancient world for people to, uh, to hear teachers. You know, back in, in the days, they had all the philosophers and they had all these teachers. And it was a common thing in, in ancient Greek to have a lot of hearers <coughs> of these teachers. And if you followed what the teacher said and tried to live what that teacher was sharing, then it was called a disciple. You were a disciple. So when we talk about disciples in the Bible, and, and I want to make clear, not every disciple is necessarily saved. Okay, uh, A disciple in a religious sense, we would like to think that they are, but a disciple means that you are a student of the teachings of the gospel. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means that you are, are hearing what his word says and you want to live that life and follow that life that he has for you. So they would follow a teacher and try to live what he had said. They were called a disciple of that teacher. So really what God is looking for is disciples, doers of his word, and not just hearers only. That's why in the Great Commission it says, go out and teach them to do all things. He wants disciples of those things. And again, this is where James, sometimes people don't like the book of James because they feel like he emphasizes too much on the works. We're not saved by the works that we do. The works we do, we do because of our salvation, not for our salvation. So God has these things in our life. Jesus used the same point to really conclude on the Sermon on the Mount. If you uh, remember that, in, um, I think that was in Matthew 7, where he said that the one who heard the word without doing it, it said, was like a man who built his house on the sand. And we know that story, right? And the, the, the winds came and the floods came 
and that house fell, and great was its destruction. But it said that the one who heard the word and did it was like a man who built his house on the rock, and it was able to withstand the storms of life. That's what God desires for us, that we can withstand the storms of life. We're watching the news, and we see all these uh, wars that are going on, and these rumors of wars, and these threats, and, and we're watching over here, how is this impacting us? And, and a lot of people are really stressing out about it. And we pray, I mean, for the people that are in the middle of the conflicts, of course we're praying for them, we understand some of their anxiety. But where is our hope? Where is our trust put in? Is it in God? Have we built our house on that rock? that we can withstand the storms of this life. Moffat said this, a teacher or preacher may give an eloquent address on the gospel or explain it skillfully, some Old Testament prophecy about Christ. But when the sermon is done, it is not done. Something remains to be done by the hearers in life. And if they content themselves with sentimental admiration, with enjoying the emotional or mental treat, they need not imagine that this is religion. So he's saying when we come together, what Moffat is saying, and you hear the challenge, you hear the gospel message of, of how we are to live, what God desires for us to live. In this case, what James is teaching us in our, in our views of how God wants us to live. It says, when we conclude here in a little bit, that's not the end. That's the beginning for us. We hear that word. What do we do with that word as we leave today? Do we apply it to our life? Do we, do we have it in our life to, to make changes in our life? Our life is continually changing and evolving according to God's word. You know, some of us have been Christians here a long, long time. I think, uh, I think Dale shared one time, probably the first week he was alive, his mom had him in church here. And he's had a lifetime of, of coming to church and worshiping God. Some of us have been Christians a long time. Is God still working in your life? Is he still changing you? Is he still making you holier than what you were yesterday? Is he drawing you closer to him? Spurgeon said, I fear that we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers, because they are not doers of the word. Are you a doer of the word? Do you believe in what God's word says? And he gives us this little example about the mirror. So when I get up and I, I go to the mirror, I go to the mirror usually just for purposes. I don't stand in front of the mirror much. You know, Julie and I, we, we go to the gym every now and then, and it's, uh, you know, you watch these, these uh, athletes, these bodybuilders, these weightlifters, you know, they're in front of the mirrors all the time. I go to the mirror when I have a purpose. If I'm going to shave and I want to make sure that I'm doing something right, you know, then I'm in front of the mirror. Otherwise, I usually don't like to go to the mirror much because when I look at the mirror, I see wrinkles, I see more gray hairs coming, you know, I see the flaws in my life, right? And we don't like to see that. But God says, guess what? His word is like a mirror. Uh, Spurgeon again goes on, he says, the glass of the word is, is not, let me start again, the glass of the word is not like our ordinary looking glass, which merely shows us external features. But according to the Greek of our text, the man sees in it the face of his birth, that is, the face of his nature. He that reads and hears the word may not only see his actions there, but his motives, his desires, 
his inward conditions. And so when we go in front of the regular mirror, you know, I can see the externals. I can't see if my heart is good in there. I can't see if my, my kidneys and liver are doing well or my lungs are, are functioning right. I can't tell that by looking in a regular mirror. Those are external. But it tells us that God's word is like this mirror that searches the inside of us. It, it reveals to us our heart, our motives, uh, our desires, our inward conditions. It is something that we need in our life to really look at us and to make the change from within. He goes on to say, certain preachers dream that it is their business to paint pretty pictures, but it's not so. We are not to design and sketch, but simply to give the reflection of truth. As Christians, that's our, that's our aim. That's our goal, to preach the gospel. It says that we are responsible for sharing the gospel not for its results. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth in love. And to give that reflection of truth, it says we are to hold up the mirror to nature in a moral and spiritual sense and to let men see themselves there within. You know, one of the things that, that people just enjoy in their life is really to think that there's something special, right? We all want to be made to feel like we are something special. We don't like to look at the flaws in our life. We don't like to admit those things in our life. And I think one of the things that has failed in the modern church is that we don't address sinful issues in the church. We don't address uh, wrong attitudes or harsh words. We sometimes just let those things go, lifestyles that people have. And again, we're not doing that in a judgmental way, but we, we sometimes neglect parts of the word of God so we don't offend certain things. James, can you imagine as he is sending this out to the churches, some of the toes that must have been stepped on. Paul in Corinthians, when he was dealing with sin in that church, wrote a, a, a pretty harsh letter to them saying, you know, our God and Savior died for a reason. And it was for our salvation that we might be a kind of his first fruits as we read last week. That's his desire for us. We need to take those things seriously. He says, we have not even to make the mirror, but only to hold it up. So he's talking to me as I, as I read this as a preacher. I don't need to elaborate and, and try to make it more extraordinary than it is or more pointed than it is. All I need to do is share the word of God. Because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It says it's even able to cut to the bone in the marrow. It's the word of God that convicts us, and it's the word of God that can change our life. The word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart, his inmost self. That's the word of God. I don't need to be anybody's Holy Spirit. As they read the word of God, the Holy Spirit works in their life and reveals these things to us over time. It shows us where we are at. A healthy person looks in the mirror usually to do something, you know, again, in their life, not just to admire their image, though today a lot of people probably do like to admire their image. But even so, a healthy Christian looks into God's word to do something. When we study God's word, it's because we want to grow. Our desire is to be a part of a study because I want to know more about God. I want to know the deeper things of God. I want this mystery to continue to be unfolded that I might see the glory and the grace of God. I want to be in God's word to see how I may reach other people that 
need salvation, that need to hear the word of God, that need to be encouraged. I want it to show me how to love people that have maybe never been loved in their life or to love the unlovable sometimes in our life. And so we look to God for something. A healthy Christian looks into God's word to do something about it, not just to store up the facts that he'll never put to use. Clark said this, The doctrines of God faithfully preached are such a mirror that he who hears cannot help but discover his own character. And being affected with his own deformity, he sorrows and purposes an amendment. But when the preaching is over, the mirror is removed, he soon forgets what manner of man he was. He reasons to himself out of the necessity of repentance and amendment of life, and thus deceives his soul. I, I remember a story from a long time ago when we were uh, at a church and there was an altar call and the pastor had asked, he says, if you want to, uh, you know, if we have people to pray for and you want to come forward and help pray, we could do that. Anyways, there was a lady that came up and she was in tears. And, and um, she was just in a situation. She was living in the world. She was living with a guy. She was, and she was broken. She had heard the word of God at that message that night by that pastor and her heart was broken, and she came forward in tears of repentance. And the one pastor was there. He said, don't let Satan get a hold of you. Don't you remember when you came forward and gave your life to Christ? You're saved. And basically he was telling her that there was nothing wrong with her life. And her tears stopped. And she walked on away after a little bit. And she continued in that lifestyle. See, that's what it talks about when we look into the mirror of God. We see the conviction that comes upon us, but when we walk away from it, we begin to think we're all okay again. That everything that I'm doing, the way that I'm living, the way that I'm talking, the thoughts, my, my desires, all these things that are in my life are fine. And so that's what Clark is saying. He reasons himself out of the necessity of repentance. We begin to compare ourselves to others again, saying, well, you know, I may have problems, but I don't have problems like this person has. See, we're always looking at a horizontal level, and we need to always be looking this way towards God. He's our standard. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, he, he closes. And that when it says looks into that perfect law, that really means a penetrating examination. It, it sort of gives this, this picture of, like, have you ever really wanted to see something closer and, and you bend over and you really want to see it? You want to get right down and see what it is. That's what the Greek word means for looking into that perfect law of liberty. We want to be set free. And we are set free by the blood of Christ. It's a great thing. And he says, he who continues into that word of God. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Who continues in it. You look into it, you hear the word of God, you see what it says. It's been proclaimed. You hear it, and now you continue in it. He says, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. That's what we need to be, because that Greek word translated uh, paraminas has this sense. It takes time to see and examine the state of his soul, the grace of his God to the extent of his duty, and the height of his promise, glory. To look into that perfect law of liberty. See, God had the old law. It was the do's and the don'ts. The New Testament still has do's and don'ts. There's things that God says we should be doing and things that we shouldn't be doing. 
But we're not bound by that law. We're bound by this law of grace. And it's a wonderful way to describe the word of God in the new covenant. This is the new covenant, he tells us. God reveals to us this law, but it is a law of liberty written on our hearts by the spirit of God. We have his spirit inside of us. It is liberty, it is freedom, and it's found in Christ. And so as you leave today, I want you to think about those things. Do you have things that are holding you back? Do you have things that, that are like bondage to you? Chains that are, are wrapped around you? Jesus says, I have the way. And this is the way out of those things. Are you willing to follow him? Continue in this thing? He has come and set us free. It says he has come to set the captives free. Amazing grace. My chains are gone. We sing that song every so often. You know, he saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He's given us this perfect uh, gift of grace in this perfect freedom. But he desires for us to walk in it. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in whatever he does. Are you a blessed believer? Are you a doer of the word? Do you hear his word and hunger for more of it, that he might make changes in your life? That should be each of our prayers. Let's pray.